A reading from Ephesians 4, 17 through 32. Now this I say and testify in the Lord, that you must no longer walk as the Gentiles do in the futility of their minds. They are darkened in their understanding, alienated from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them due to their hardness of heart. They have become callous and have given themselves up to sensuality, ready to practice every kind of impurity. But that is not the way you learned Christ. Assuming that you have heard about him and were taught in him as the truth is in Put off your old self, which belongs to your former manner of life, and is corrupt through deceitful desires, and to be renewed in the spirit of your mind, and to put on the new self, created after the likeness of God, in true righteousness and holiness. Therefore, having put away falsehood, let each one of you speak the truth with his neighbor, for we are members one of another. Be angry and do not sin. Do not let the sun go down on your anger, and give no opportunity to the devil. Let the thief no longer steal, but rather let him labor, doing honest work with his own hands, so that he may have something to share with anyone in need. Let no corrupting talk come out of your mouths, but only such as is good for building up, as fits the occasion, that it may give grace to those who hear. And do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God, by whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. All bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and slander be put away from you, along with all malice. Be kind to one another, tender-hearted, forgiving one another, as God and Christ forgave you. Word of the Lord. Amen. Friends, uh, let's pray together. Father, it is our desire uh, that we would learn Jesus today, that as we uh, consider uh, the Bible, as we consider the teachings of Paul, um, that we wouldn't just um, listen in from a distance, um, but that as we consider these readings, that you would grant us to really hear Jesus, um, to, to slam up against the reality of Jesus Christ, um, that, uh, and fundamentally that we would know Jesus and be transformed by Jesus and that we would not remain as we are. So we ask for your intervention in every single one of our lives. Um, those of us who are adults, those of us who are kids, um, intervene in our hearts and do all things necessary for our deep transformation. We want to know you more. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. All right, everybody. Um, we are looking at that Ephesians reading. So that's on page eight. So if you want to turn back, that would be helpful. If you want to open up uh, your own Bible and look at it uh, together, we're going to be looking at the first paragraph in that reading from the book of Ephesians. We're going to pick up the, the second paragraph next week. But here's what I want you to see today. Here, here it is. Uh, real Christianity is marked by real transformation, which in turn is animated by really knowing Jesus. Now, you'll notice the um, <clears throat> real. Uh, repetition is for emphasis. And um, the reason I mention real Christianity, real transformation, really knowing Jesus is that here at Emmanuel, we want to be fiercely committed to 
real Christianity, not phony Christianity, not false religion, not formal Christianity that looks good on the outside, but is rotten on the inside. That's not what we want. We want to be fiercely committed to the real thing, to real Christianity. And that's not something that's unique about us. That's not something that originates with us. We get that from reading the Bible. Like if you read the whole Bible, which will take some time, but um, if you just read Jesus, or the, read the Gospels, and then read the Apostle Paul, you'll notice a theme that comes up again and again. Everything they say pulses with the message that says something like this. There is a phony kind of religion. There's a false kind of religion. There's a counterfeit kind of religion that's shiny on the outside, but rotten on the inside. And Jesus and Paul and the rest of the Bible says, run away from that and instead run to Jesus. Because when you come to Jesus Christ and when you really get to know Jesus Christ, what you'll find is that Jesus does not just offer us a kind of moderately improved virgin version of religion. It's something different from that. The message of the Bible is that Jesus gives us something that is qualitatively different, something that is really new, something that is significantly distinct. Because Jesus Christ reaches down into the soul and transforms us from the inside out. Jesus Christ reaches down into that little core of the human heart that natural religion can never quite touch. Jesus reaches down, targets that bit, and changes us from the inside out so that we end up really, genuinely, authentically transformed. Real Christianity is marked by real transformation, which is animated by really knowing Jesus. Now, the whole Bible teaches that, but today I want to show you how that first paragraph in the reading from Ephesians, verses 17 through 24, I want to show you how that passage teaches it. And, and basically, I'm going to show you two things. I want to show you how uh, Paul says, first, there's a natural kind of life that we get to jettison. And on the other hand, there's a supernatural kind of life that we need to pursue. So first of all, let me show you the natural sort of life that we need to jettison. Take a look at verse 17. Paul writes this. He says, now I say this and I testify in the Lord that you must no longer walk as the Gentiles do in the futility of their minds. Now pause there for just a second. Remember the context. We've been uh, talking about Ephesians for months now. Um, the apostle Paul is writing to a group of churches in Ephesus or around Ephesus, um, which is in modern day Turkey. The apostle Paul himself is under house arrest in Rome. Now he's writing to churches that are majority Gentile. However, despite that, he writes to them in this verse and he says, hey, Gentile Christians, yeah, don't live like Gentiles. Now what's, what's going on there? Um, this is important. He's in verse 17, he is not like criticizing their ethnicity or saying they need to completely reject their culture or stop being Ephesians or instead they should be Israelites. That's not what he's doing. This isn't about, you know, kind of cultural imperialism or anything like that. And we know that from the rest of the book of Ephesians and from the rest of the teachings of Paul. Paul's pointing to something that's a lot deeper than that. He's saying something like this. He's saying, Ephesians, inside the human heart, inside every human heart, and inside your culture and inside every single culture, there are like default heart settings. 
We tend to think in similar ways. We tend to desire similar things. And that leads uh, whole cultures, whole societies to similar patterns of behavior. The thing is, very often we're unaware, we're oblivious to those uh, uh, heart default settings. And, and part of the reason that we're oblivious to those heart default settings within the individual heart and within uh, a, a culture is because um, we just it just sort of blends in. Um, if everyone tends to think in a particular way and if everyone tends to desire the similar things, then very often we don't notice it because we've never imagined anything else. It's just, you know, it's the fish doesn't know it's wet kind of thing. And so very often in a culture or in a society, uh, if something's normal, then very often we assume it to be natural. And if it's natural, we assume it to be good. And if it's good, then we assume that it doesn't need to be challenged or changed in any sort of way. But Paul here in verse 17, he's saying, wait a second, Ephesians, not so fast. It's as if Paul says, Jesus has not come simply to make us normal. Jesus has not come to simply affirm what we find natural. Instead, argues Paul, Jesus has come to give us a supernatural kind of life, something qualitatively different. And therefore, argues Paul, those deep heart settings that maybe we've never even investigated, maybe those deep heart settings that we're not even, a, we don't even know about, we're oblivious to, those deep heart settings are going to need to change. In other words, Paul's saying, jettison the settings of the heart that come natural to us. Now, that may sound odd, and it, it's probably going to get more odd before we're done. Um, what are those deep heart settings that need to change? Well, take a look at verse 18. Because he begins to analyze the deep settings of the heart that the Ephesians find natural and that all of us find natural. But hang on, before you look at verse 18, don't be surprised if Paul's analysis of the human heart sounds odd. Um, whenever humans look into their own heart, they always find something that's a bit odd. Have you experienced this? Like, have you ever gone to counseling? Have you ever gone to counseling? Here's my experience of going to counseling. You, you walk in to counseling or spiritual direction or anything like that, and you, you, you go in with a problem. Like, I don't know, you're having a hard time with your boss. But the problem is you come out of the session um, having discovered that you actually your real problem isn't your boss. Your real problem is that three generations ago, you had an emotionally stunted grandfather, and that's been rolling down, and now you're a hot mess that's worse than you ever thought. And you walk out of the session, you're going, wait, I paid for that? You know, what is going on? When you look into the human heart, maybe that's just me. That just got awkward, didn't it? I guess that's just me. Anyways, when you look into the human heart, very often you find what it is you do not expect. And it ends up that very often we discover that the problems in our souls are deeper than we ever dreamed. Well, that's what Paul's going to do in verse 18. Take a look at it. Paul's describing the default settings of the human heart. And he says this, they are darkened in their understanding alienated from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them due to the hardness of heart. They have become callous and have given themselves up to sensuality, greedy to practice every kind of impurity. Now, focus first on the phrase due to the hardness of the heart. This is the, the core cause of the problem. Now, when Paul uses the word hard or hardness, um, it's a, originally a medical term. 
And it originally described a part of the body uh, that becomes hardened and therefore insensitive. So for instance, a callus, and later on he uses, he talks about being callous. Uh, a callus is something that becomes hard and therefore insensitive. But originally the word hard could describe blindness as well. So originally the word basically described a disorder that interrupts our senses so that we can't feel or we can't see, and therefore we begin to lose touch with the real world around us. Now that's the medical term hardness, but Paul talks about hardness of heart, and that adds another piece to it because hardness of heart is a willful insensitivity to God. Hardness of heart is a willful rejection of God, a willful uh, uh, suppression of God out of our lives. Now, example, um, right now, everybody knows, right, that our nation is, you know, terribly, terribly divided. And if you listen to the both sides, the way they talk about each other, the odd thing is they, they sometimes say something very similar to each other. Uh, very often, both sides will say, the other side is willfully ignoring the facts and willfully suppressing the truth, right? Have you, have you heard that? Like whatever side you're on, you, you can say that about the other side, right? Well, very often when I listen to the other side, they, they're saying the same thing. Both, of, both sides are saying that to each other. That's one of the reasons we're so divided. We're accusing each other of being hardened in our hearts towards the truth. Now, Paul's point is similar, only he's saying it's not just that we're uh, hard-hearted towards facts in the world around us, but rather we are hard-hearted towards God himself. And because of that, says Paul, we have become alienated from the life of God. We've given ourselves over to ignorance, but that has caused us to be alienated from the life of God. The life of God. The life of God. What is the life of God? Well, think of it this way. You know how um, the best things in life are gathered up around relationships, right? Do you think you can agree with that? Like if you have everything you want, but you've got crummy relationships, you're gonna have, life's gonna feel crummy, right? Um, well, according to the Bible, God's life is good because of his relationship. God's life is good because God enjoys perfect relationship. That's part of why the doctrine of the Trinity is really important. God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit are all united in eternal and perfect intimacy with each other. And therefore, God is perfectly happy because God is perfectly fulfilled in relationship. That's the life of God. The intimacy between the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. And God is generous, says the Bible, and God wants to share his life with us. The problem is we have hard hearts and we don't want it. Our hearts are hard and we kind of like our hearts being hard. And therefore we suppress knowledge of God. We, we sabotage the one relationship that we were really made for and we run into toxic relationships instead. We're alienated from the life of God because of the hardness of our hearts. And this is where it starts to get pretty dark. Look at verse 19. Because when we harden our hearts against God and we cut ourselves off from the life of God, guess what we're left with in our souls? We're left in our souls with a hot mess of burning desire. We give ourselves up to every kind of impurity and we're greedy for more. You see, the thing is, our, our desires 
are met, are designed to be satisfied in God. But when we cut ourselves off from God, our desires are never going to be satisfied. And then when we look into our soul, we find that our, our unmet desires just create this cauldron burning desire. And the only way we can manage that cauldron of desire is to feed it with more and more and more of with whatever it is demanding at the moment. And that's why we're full of greed. Did you think only other people are greedy? Did you think that like the only greedy people are on Wall Street? Friends, look at your own soul. And that's why we're full of lust. And that's why we're workaholics. And that's why other times we're lazy. And that's why we consume this world like addicts. Because we are addicts. We're addicts who are driven by our own desires because we're cut off from the life of God and we're cut off from the life of God because we're hard at heart. And that selfish desire that we're always needing to feed causes us to end up being callous, callous towards other people, particularly people who we do not find useful. Okay. Now, slow down. I know this is all really heavy, but it's going to get better. Okay. <clears throat> this is one of the ways that you can identify false religion. What do I mean? False religion will always make peace with this default heart setting. And they'll make peace with it in one of two ways. False religion, phony religion will very often do one of two things. Either uh, false religion will affirm our desires and saying that the, the, the desires that you have are natural and therefore they're normal and therefore they're acceptable and therefore they're blessed by God. God loves you, remain as you are. And that, that sounds nice, uh, but it, it's, not, it's not the religion of Jesus. But on the other hand, false uh, Christianity or false religion will sometimes also uh, try to regulate our desires or put guardrails on our desires. It, it'll try to manage them with rules without transforming them. And so in that, in that case, in this situation, it'll go like this. It, false religion will say, your desires are out of control. And you'll say, yeah, they probably are. And then false religion will say, follow these rules and these rules will contain your desires and you can behave your way to being okay. And that's what we call moralism. And it sounds kind of good, except that it's superficial at best because it's powerless to really change us. It's a little bit like prison. Prison doesn't change people. It doesn't reform people usually. Prison only restrains people from maybe doing more harm, but that's all that moralism can do. It can kind of just create guardrails around us, but it doesn't really transform us. It doesn't really deal with the issue. And I want you to know that Jesus has a better vision than either of those two approaches. And this is why Paul says in verse 17, don't live like the Gentiles. Don't be satisfied with normal. Don't settle for what is natural. Rather, jettison the natural life. Jettison natural religion and pursue a life that is supernatural. Supernatural? What are you talking about? What does that mean? Well, look at verse 20. Verse 20 says, that is not how you learned Christ. 
Now think about this with me. Think about Jesus. Now, who is Jesus? Jesus is many things. Here's one thing Jesus is. Jesus is the life of God reclaiming humanity. Just think about this for a minute. Jesus is unambiguously human. And at the same time, Jesus is unambiguously God. And apart from many other things, that means that Jesus is the one human who has lived the life of God. He's the one human whose heart settings are not set by hardness. Rather, he is perfectly satisfied with intimacy, with the love between the Father and the Holy Spirit. Now look back at verse 20. Do you see how it, do you see what it doesn't say, verse 20? Do you see what it does not say? It does not say you, this is not what you learned about Jesus. It doesn't say you learned what Jesus taught. It says this is not how you learned Christ. Now that that phrase learned Christ um, drives Greek grammar people crazy because they kind of roll their eyes and they say, oh, Paul, you're using bad Greek. Um, you don't learn a person, you learn about a person or you learn what that person teaches. I don't know why I use that voice right there. That was weird. But the, Paul modifies Greek grammar here because Paul's maybe bad Greek grammar is perfect Christianity. Here's why I say that. Real Christianity only happens when we slam up against Jesus himself. It's not just learning about Jesus, important as that is. It's not just learning what Jesus taught us to do, important as that is. Real Christianity is audacious enough to say, you must meet Jesus. You've got to learn him. You must learn him and not just about him. When we meet Jesus Christ... What we find is that Jesus is both more demanding and more loving than false religion ever is. On the one hand, he's more demanding because Jesus, when you really meet him, Jesus tells us, listen, you are guilty because of your hard heart. You have suppressed the truth about God. You have indulged your desires. You have exploited people. You become callous towards people. And all of that deserves hell. And you are not okay as you are. And when you meet Jesus and he says that to you, it takes your breath away. It's pretty demanding. But on the other hand, he's also far more loving than false Christianity and false religion. Because Jesus goes on to say, yes, but I suffered all the hell that you deserve in your place when I died upon the cross. And then Jesus says, and then I rose again. And Jesus says, I rose again with a pat, with authority to forgive you. But I also rose again with power to reach into your soul and change your heart. I rose with the power, says Jesus, to reach into your soul and to reach into your heart and find that stony part of your soul and take it out and insert my spirit in its place so that now you can live the life of God. Let me say it differently. We all must learn about Jesus. But our learning about Jesus remains incomplete until we come face to face with him and he forgives our sins and gives us a new heart. That's learning Christ, not just about him, but learning Christ. It's not affirming what we find natural to us. It's not managing merely with rules what comes natural to us. It is the impartation of the supernatural life of God into our souls. 
there's at least three parts to it. There's a putting off, there's a putting on, and there's a daily renewal. First, there's a putting off. So look at verse 22. When you learn Christ, when you receive the truth of Christianity, it starts, verse 22, when you put off your old self, which belongs to your former manner of life and is corrupt through deceitful desires. Now, that's describing one of the things that happens when we become a Christian. So if you're going to be a, 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 a natural Christian, there does need to be a moment when we jettison what is natural and normal and default within our hearts. Or to put it differently, there has to be a moment when we defect from what is normal and natural and default within our souls. What happens is we, we end up, Jesus causes us to look at our hearts. And as we look at our hearts, we see our hardness and we see that our hardness has caused us to be alienated from God's life. And we see that our desires are leading us to evil and exploitation and sin. And there, there comes a point when we must say, I renounce myself. And it's really radical. And it's really severe. In fact, and this is important, it's impossible. It's impossible to put off your natural self unless, unless we are allured, drawn out by something better. And that's what verse 24 says. Look at verse 24. And to put on the new self created after the likeness of God in true righteousness and holiness. Now look at verse 24. Do you see where it says new self? It could as easily be translated, put on the new humanity. And that's a humanity that only Jesus gives. It's a humanity um, that is animated by the life of God. In other words, it's Jesus's humanity. And Jesus's humanity that doesn't have that hard heart, that isn't, uh, the, the default settings do not draw him away from God. Jesus's default settings draw him toward the love of God. He takes his humanity and he shares it with us by transforming our hearts in the power of the Holy Spirit. And that's why it leads, it causes us to resemble God, to be created after the likeness of God because we're beginning to taste the life of God. And it results in true righteousness and holiness, not phony righteousness and holiness, not behavior management, not simply affirming our desires, but rather it is a comprehensive transformation from the inside out. And now let me ask you a very, very important question. Have you put off your old self and put on the humanity of Jesus? And let me say something um, to the kids on the call today. Hey, kids. Hi. Um, you need to know, and I hope you already know this, but just because your parents are Christians, that doesn't mean that you're a Christian. And Jesus, even right now, Jesus doesn't just want you to know about him. Jesus wants you to know him personally for yourself. And right now, He's asking you to lay down your life for him and to follow him. Not because your parents do, but because he's looking at you right now and he's calling you by name and he's saying, come and follow me. Now you can't do that by yourself. You can't, but you can ask Jesus to change your heart so that you trust Jesus 
and love Jesus. And you'll begin to live the life of God, loving him and knowing his love for you. And the same goes for all the rest of us. You know, coming to Emmanuel doesn't make you a Christian. But when you learn Christ himself and his power leads you to put off your old self and put on his new humanity, that does make you a Christian. And we all need to ask the question, am I one? Friends, give your consent to Christ today. Ask him to impart his life into your soul. He is seeking you. He is seeking you like a shepherd seeks a lost sheep. Seek him back and get found by him. Now, let me wrap up with one last thing. There's a putting off, there's a putting on, and then there's a daily renewal. Um, now, so for some of you, when I ask you, are you a real Christian? For some of you, that sparks anxiety. For some of you, that sparks a question, am I one? I don't know. I, I hope I am. I've tried to be a several times. Um, and then there's going to be others who, you know you're a Christian, but when you look at your heart, you'll see a lot of natural hardness remaining and only a little of the new transformed humanity, only a little transformation. And that's discouraging now. So if you're anxious or you're discouraged, take heart, don't worry. Because verse 23 is for you. Verse 23 says, be renewed in the spirit of your minds. Now, when Paul says put off and put on, he's talking about a decisive moment when you respond to Jesus and you start to follow him. We call that conversion. But verse 23 is different. The verb to be renewed means to be constantly renewed moment by moment and breath by breath by the mercies and the grace and the gospel of Jesus Christ. And that's the Christian's daily life. Everybody right now, breathe. Breathe in. Breathe out. You cannot live without breathing constantly. And as a Christian, you cannot endure without being renewed in the spirit of your minds, moment by moment and breath by breath, by the mercies and the grace of Jesus Christ that he gives you by his Holy Spirit. And your whole life, your whole Christian life is gonna be a process of continually learning Christ more and inhaling his mercies. And that happens as we sit at the feet of Jesus, learning about him, learning who he is and what he accomplished and what he taught. And as Jesus Christ becomes more and more vivid, more and more in focus, the Holy Spirit in the same moment will be working within our hearts and he will show us the hardness of our heart that remains. And then he will bring us again to our knees before Jesus. And there we will find a merciful savior. Yet again, the mercies of Jesus were not just for your moment of conversion. The mercies of Jesus are moment by moment and breath by breath. You can't breathe. You can't live without breathing. Don't live without the mercies of Jesus every day. He will bring you to your knees and you will meet a gracious savior again and again and again. And there over time, your heart will be softened yet more and we will become more like him. We will be created after the image of God. Yet again, we will enjoy the life of God. And it's a continual process, just like the hardness of our heart naturally leads us continually deeper into selfishness and away from God. So when the when Jesus is renewing us by the spirit of our minds, by the Holy Spirit, it's a continual process where our hearts are softened and we grow up in love and we enjoy the life of God more and more. So I want to know, are you being renewed in the spirit of your mind today and tomorrow and yesterday and every day? Or are you being primarily formed by the news 
or by what other, other voices are shaping you. Friends, we're all being shaped every day by our work and our relationships and the, and the news and whatever it is that we're reading, whatever it is that we're watching and all of that's normal and there's nothing to be done about it except to be attentive to how we are being formed to Christ. Be renewed day by day in the spirit of your minds by the mercies of Jesus Christ. He wants to share his new humanity with you day in and day out. He wants you to live the life of God day in and day out. So when you go to the Bible, don't just read about Jesus. Ask Jesus to meet you yet again in the scriptures. And when you go to prayer, don't just tick a box. Ask Jesus to meet you again by the power of his Holy Spirit. And when you go about your day, don't just go about your day. Ask Jesus to empower you to go about your day as his instrument and in, as his agent in this world. You are called to real transformation animated by really knowing Jesus. That, Emmanuel, is real Christianity. So pursue it with everything you have because Christ has pursued you with all that he is. Amen. Hello, everyone. My name is Jim Saladin. I'm the rector here at Emmanuel Anglican Church. Uh, our church exists to see and describe and reflect the beauty of Jesus Christ for the flourishing of our city. And I hope this podcast encouraged you in that way towards Christ. If you're here in New York City, we'd love to see you. Please join us on Sundays at 11 a.m. Generosity drives everything we do at Emmanuel. And if you'd like to contribute, please visit www.emmanuelanglicannyc.com slash give.